The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode 50 of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factor Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. To celebrate our 50th episode, we are going to do something new that I've been wanting to do for a long time on this show. I've got two of our previous guests, David Throckmorton and Thomas Went, live in the studio, and we are doing a listening session. I'm calling these Reasons to Love and we selected some of our favorite drummers that we all love and we're going through 10 different tracks each one of us picked three or four we whittled it down to 10 and we're going to listen to them and discuss them Um, this is going to be hopefully a monthly ongoing series here with tom and dave so hopefully you dig it and um, we're going to kick it off with the great legendary roy haynes let's check it out well we got together we wanted to do this show as a group to see what would happen our first idea was obviously Let's just talk about the drummers that we love, right? Sure. And Roy Haynes just had his how many birthdays? 97. 97th birthday. <laughs> um, but I wanted to get your opinion on this. I feel like we celebrate him for his longevity, but not quite enough for just how like, innovative and important and how much he shaped what modern jazz drumming is. If you go back to 1945 through the 2000s, I feel like he was always... Maybe not innovating, but just uniquely himself. And I feel like we don't celebrate that enough. Like, I hear him in almost everybody. I don't hear necessarily some of the older guys anymore as much. Anyway, just just open it up with that. What do you think? I think that's totally true. I think um, I, I've always thought that, that that he was a member of that exclusive club where... Uh, for instance, I think Billy Higgins is a member of this club. And these are musicians who basically play the way they play, and it kind of works for everything. And their personality is always very present mm. when they play, but they don't, they don't really, their, their, their style has something about it that just works for every situation that they're in. Yeah, and I, and I, I think Roy is definitely in that club. I don't, what do you think, Throckmorton? I think sometimes that, you know, some of these drummers we think of as that are so copied, like maybe a little later, like guys like Tony or Elvin or something, like they play in these like massively iconic groups that everybody thinks about Miles Second Quintet or the great classic Coltrane Quartet. Maybe with Roy, of course he played with all these amazing artists and so many different artists over such a long period like you said but we might not associate one thing with some, with him as much as that's true as, as others yeah. even like newer drummers that's you, you true know, like you, you, certain people you're like okay that had that group you know that's true that's true yeah so, he wasn't really in 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 a group well well it's like when you think about album, like clips to pick to listen to it's all over the place. It's true, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or if you pick Elvin or something like it, you're going to think about Train or the Blue Note Records or, or whatever, or his own stuff sure. as a leader. Um, it was a little trickier in a way with, with Roy. It was very so tricky. Much. And even like I talked to Tom before this and he told me a couple of things he used and I was I'm like, I might, I may have not even heard a couple of these things. So mm-hmm. it's, it's it's exciting to, yeah. to hear, hear new stuff by people that you love, you know. And the fact that I purposely didn't want us to share our, ours ahead of time, and we each 
chose stuff from different eras. So we're literally covering 55 years just yeah, by our own incredible. choices. Um, and yeah, I guess we'll get to it when we start listening. Just yeah, especially on the first one. When I hear Roy in the early days, I think of Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future. Like he just went back in time and is playing with these cats. Like that's a that's a modern day dude. <laughs> yeah, wow. like injected in 1945. Like what what kind of voodoo is he working? Well, you know what you know what's funny, at least to my ears, and I would love to hear what you guys think about this. Roy's playing. I, I feel like he sort of his style really by the. I would say the late 40s or early as 50s, his style was pretty much all in place and his style didn't really change. Right. You know, I'm not saying his playing didn't change at all. It, it certainly changed somewhat. But his overall style is basically the same as it was in the early 50s, you Crazy. know, which is kind of amazing if you think, and it's, it's incredible. Like you hear him on a Charlie Parker record from 1949, or you hear him with Danilo and John Patitucci, and it's killing, you know? Yeah. That's unique. You know, there's other artists whose styles really develop and change, mm -hmm. and that's fun, too, because you can watch, you know, how they evolve and develop, and it's, it's really cool to check that out. But others, they sort of develop, and then that's what they do, and it's every time it's great, and that's unique. What I, I think, think is interesting on that point is that even in his later career, he still sounds like he's on the hip stuff. Absolutely. You know, like like Blakey, he played like Blakey and it sounded old in the 80s. Yeah. But I saw Roy in 2000, I think it was the, the Piano Trio tour. It was like, this is what everybody wants to sound like. Yeah. Literally yeah. everyone is trying to sound like this. It was pretty crazy. So you want to start with his first yeah. track? Tom, you picked this one. What is this? Oh, sure. Well, I, you know... I, I was trying to pick stuff that... <laughs> you knew I wouldn't. <laughs> that was probably easy to do, though. No, it wasn't that easy, man. You're, 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 you're a well-listened guy, man. But I, I, I wasn't sure if you had ever heard this. So this is, um, this is going all the way back uh, to Roy's first uh, commercial record date. I believe there's a live air check of this band slightly before this, but not very much before. So this is, this is uh, from 1945, and I cannot find an exact date for this. Uh, this is a record that was recorded on a, a very small independent label called the Manor label, which uh, some of uh, Dizzy Gillespie's first records were on Manor. This was a small label in the 40s. How, how old would he have been? He would, he would either be 19 or 20. Wow. He was born, uh, I believe, March 13th of 1925, I think, is his birthday. Wow. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. So this is, uh, this is the big band of a, um, a gentleman named uh, Louis Russell. Uh, and for those of you who might not be familiar, that's that's not a household name in, in mm -hmm. jazz. But he he was a, a a big band leader, and he sort of gained notoriety because in the very early '30s, Louis Armstrong hired him and his band to sort of be his backing big band through not all but a lot of the 1930s. So that's mm -hmm. where a lot of people sort of got his name from originally. Uh, and he always had a good band. In the earlier days, uh, the great Paul Barberin played with him, who was one of the great early New Orleans drummers. But Roy joined his band, I believe, in 1944 or 45, I think. And this was his first commercial record. And so what we're going to hear, this is a, this is a blues called uh, Boogie in the Basement, and it's just sort of like a boogie-woogie type blues arranged for a big band. And we're going to hear sort of the last shout chorus and out chorus and there's some really great uh, 
drum breaks at the end so we can check this out. Boogie in the Basement. man so that's roughly 20 year old roy Haynes. <laughs> yeah would you say 40 45 45 there's not i can't find an, an exact date yeah that's so that was the th- literally when i heard that i was like I'm, I'm seeing a movie where a guy goes back in time and plays drums and like changes the face of music <laughs> from that point on. it's weird like i i never heard that it it, it sounds you know it sounds old not to sound like a like silly but but like you can i can hear a thread there like of what he became you know F- you know some of the just the phrases just you can f- you know like, a little three against four yeah, thing exactly yeah, yeah. It's it, like it, that that remains all the way through you know yeah yeah i i mean i think if if you had played that for me and i had never heard it i mean my first impression is that's a, a perfectly capable swing era. That, that's big band what I drum. feel like. Yeah, mm. you know he's swinging, he's driving the band. Those those breaks he plays are hip, but they're not crazy. Yeah, like he's keeping still, it all together. Yeah, right. You know, but as you said, you can kind of hear like, especially the last one. I was like, oh, it sounds like a little bit like Roy. Exactly. Right, right. So even yeah. at that young age, there was still you know that 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 beautiful individuality that was that was there. So and that might have been. I mean, I want to play it again. Like, really strong time. Oh, yeah. Let's play it one more time. I should probably mention this. There's there's another recording that he, uh, an instrumental that he did with this band. This band made a lot of records with a vocalist, that, and he's on them. But there's another instrumental they do where, where he plays a little, and I, I I would love to talk to him about this because I, I think one of the influences that he, he very well could have had is uh, Cozy Cole, mm. who was a big in, who was a much bigger influence on drummers of the '40s than a lot of people realize. He's a big influence on Max. Like, if you listen also from 1945, the Charlie Parker's first date as a leader where they play Coco, the, the, his version of Cherokee, and Max plays that, that solo. It's all on the snare drum. Very reminiscent of a Cozy Cole record uh, called Paradiddle that he did with uh, Cab Calloway's band. Oh, I, wow. I, I think those guys were really listening to that stuff. Mm, I'm sure. You know, I, I well, think that was says big, Buddy was super into Cozy, too. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and Cozy was a great teacher. You know, he taught a lot of those guys. He gave them sort of informal lessons, like Max, uh, even Philly Joe Jones. You know, took some lessons what, from Cozy what, Cole. What year was Max born? Do you know? Nineteen. Uh, uh, Sorry to put you on the spot. I, I, I know I this think, is your. I, I think it was twenty-five. I think it was okay. right around twenty-five. 
Um, I think and Roy and Roy was what twenty five as well. Yeah, that's that's they're very close in age. Yeah. I think I think Max might have been a bit older. I I used to remember the year, and I, it's escaping me now. That is interesting. I would have thought Max was older. Yeah, you think? You I think, think he might have been a little. So, but yeah, it makes sense in a way. I think know? he he might have been a couple years older. I I, I can't remember the the date. But definitely the same. You know, of the same time, same. Well, they, they they were also listening to a lot of the same music. I'm sure. I mean, one of the things that for for me, from a like a history standpoint, when when people talk about the drummers of the '40s, the like the real innovators, like Kluke, Max, and Roy, right? They they really they start talking about what they did in the '40s. They never talk about the fact that all three of those guys played with swing era big bands. Mm-hmm. Clue played with Edgar Hayes, Max played with Benny Carter's big band, and Roy played with um, uh, with Lewis Russell. Matter of fact, Clue played with a couple of other big bands as well. So those guys are really, as Kenny Washington says, they're children of the swing era. So they, yeah. that's what they were checking out, and they were all very competent in that style. So that's I think that's something that people don't really yeah, mention make, about it, those guys. It makes sense. I remember hearing that, that Roy was into Papa Joe. Totally. But I didn't know Cozy Cole. That's a cool connection. All, all those guys. I mean, Papa Joe is Papa Joe for a reason, you know. Mm. But but there were other very influential guys from the, those earlier days. I mean, if you go all the way back, there's, you know, Baby Dodds, you know, Walter Johnson, Kaiser Marshall, and then, like, Big Sid Catlett. Those guys were all listening to, you know, the guys from the 40s. They were all listening to those those drummers, you know. Wow. We've got another episode in the works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to get somebody who knows about that stuff. Tom and somebody else. So, Dave, you picked Rhythmining, uh, Thelonious Monk in Action, 1958. I almost chose this, by the way. Yeah, oh, yeah? You know, it's, it's weird. I, was, I said this to Tom on the phone the other day. It's like, de- depending on what drummer we're talking about, you know, it's different thoughts into your mind about, about these players. And with Roy, I, I told Tom, it's like, it, you know, it, he's a drummer, obviously. He's this influential amazing drummer but i almost don't even think about the drums so much with mm. roy that might sound like i'm discrediting him but i don't mean it that way it's like he's on so many different records from so many different periods and like you said from like really early up into like yeah. modern times and it's like and it's really great playing all the way through i always think of elvin the same way like i like mm-hmm. elvin's playing from the beginning to the end mm-hmm. and same with roy from what i hear and uh so a lot of my stuff isn't so drum Drummy, mm-hmm. like they're not drum breaks. I guess the, on the one trio record of his, he's playing a little bit of a solo. But a lot of it is just the way he's playing behind the melody or playing behind behind people and where he fits in, you know. I kind of struggled with that too, picking stuff, because uh, to, 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 to Dave's point, a lot of times it's, it's what he's giving the music throughout an entire tune mm. or even an entire album that makes it really special. Or you if know? you take a small chunk, you're like, well, I also wanted to hear what he did exactly. 16 bars later, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. And that's tough. It's like there's so many drummers that have all these dazzling, obvious moments that you can pick from. He's so, But like Roy, it's like I, I'm not really listening to him for that. But when you get those, they're great as well, mm-hmm. you know? But it's like I love hearing the way he just p- plays, the, plays the music. All right. So let's you check know? it out. This yeah. is him playing behind, I think, the last two courses of the piano, I believe. Yeah. Cool.
So it's weird, like, just now in the in the phones, like, I, I can't hear much of the cymbal, really. I mean, it's because I'm deaf from playing cymbals my <laughs> no, whole life. No, <laughs> but, but, but at the same time, it's like what he's offering with the with the with the drums with the snare drum with the bass drum especially it's, right. it's like how he you know it's where he chooses to play how he punctuates stuff yep. the the um there's this real jabbing kind of effect to it that, that I like it's it's kind of urgent and mm-hmm. like yep. and crisp not in the way we normally think of Roy with all the roughs yep. and all this stuff you sure. know and the flat ride and everything but it's like there's this punchiness to it that it's sure that really the momentum really pushes and yeah. feels great, and the bands, you know, it's, I just love this music so much. No, it's know? great. It's one of my favorites. One of the things that this made me think of, and I almost chose one of these, is some of the recordings from 63 where he was subbing for Elvin in the classic quartet. That's, yeah, that's I, weird. Listen to those two, yeah. I, I was listening to the Newport 63, mm-hmm. which is so interesting because those guys play so differently, yeah. but... The thing that I really got from listening to that that record in particular was it made me realize how elastic his time can be. But it's very different than the way Elvin's yeah, is elastic. Totally. It's totally different. And you can kind of hear that the way Monk is playing. And he's his time has that beautiful sort of like it can move the yeah, way it needs to, you know? Yeah, I hear that a lot on the the most current thing I picked. It, yeah. It really breathes yeah you know it's amazing because it also but at the same time it's swinging like crazy mm-hmm. yeah i wish i could do that <laughs> yeah what i love is i mean compared his approach to playing with monk with like frankie dunlop yes roy's playing like a thousand times more notes but yes. it's never it's never it doesn't feel like it does yeah like but it doesn't that. feel like he's overweight at all yeah it, that's that's a really great thing to say about roy it's like he's like I've heard Matheny say that he's one of the busiest drummers I've ever played with, but it never feels like he's in the way. Absolutely, you know? yeah, that's. I might magic. be misquoting him a little bit, but that's kind of how I feel on this stuff. Absolutely, too. it's like it's active, or when you hear him play with Chick, some of those live records, it's like mm-hmm. it's really busy, but it's it's not offensive ever. It's no, not it's like always, it's always serving the music. Yeah, you know exactly. I think that's another reason why he's been a part of so many different projects and sessions. Because I think a lot of people feel that from him. You know, they, there's that beautiful propulsive activity, yeah. but it's never like, God, what is he doing? You know? Sure. <laughs> so what are you guys absorbed into your plane from Roy specifically? Anything specifically? I, I don't know if there's anything really direct that I can really, probably more like comping things for, for me. Just, me too. But But nothing like, specific where I'm like taking exact phrases mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of that way I think with all my favorite players like I don't try to I we all have people we think we sound too much like or you, when you play something you realize oh I shouldn't be I'm just that's just this guy's thing or this guy's thing but um, I try not to just play stuff people stuff verbatim uh-huh. you know I don't sure. want to be too much of a of a, of a copycat, you know. But I think, Roy, I think, I, I think there's just certain way, like a style of playing that that, that I, like. Though I like things about his style that creep in, without me even being aware of it. Kind mm-hmm. of. And then you hear, I'll hear myself back occasionally, and I'm like, and you, then you kind of notice it at times. Oh, that's kind of like some like some stuff Roy would play. You I know, I, I'd have to agree. I think it's kind of the same for me. The only thing I would add is that I, I, I love his phrasing overall, whether he's comping or soloing. Mm-hmm. The, the one clip I, I chose, there's one four-bar exchange he plays that the phrasing just knocks me out. And I remember the first time I heard it. So I think for me, I, I don't, 
I, I, I'll never be able to play like Roy Haynes, but I, I try to listen to him and take cues for how he phrases and shapes certain things. Yeah. And I just try to let that mm. do what it does, you know, and it, hopefully it'll come out in a good way when I play. I, I think with some drummers that I, that I like, especially as they get, I think when we talked before, I was saying how, like, I tend to like Motion's later playing more than his younger playing, although I like it. Or El- not Elvin specifically, but I love Elvin's late playing too. Mm-hmm. Uh, or Dijonette's later playing, even though he's still playing amazing to this day. But sometimes I feel like these guys might not necessarily lose a step in terms of their skill. Or even Buddy's playing. I'm not the hugest Buddy Rich fan, but when I hear him, it's obviously mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. But, but the, some of the really late videos in his life, I almost like those better because mm-hmm. it's a little subdued in a way yeah and i feel like there's this maturity that comes comes with that and i think with roy too like some of the more current records like the last 25 years or whatever <laughs> it's like there there's more space sometimes sometimes it's like the way he plays with space mm-hmm. and the way he plays it with the with the stretching of the time that really gets me excited more so than a bunch of stuff on the snare drum mm-hmm. you know totally because I don't really play that way, you know? So it's like um, some of that stuff might come from Roy in that way, like just how I'm trying to, like you said, like phrase and and shape shape the music. It's funny because I do play. <laughs> I do yeah, play you're much like more that. snare drum oriented you know? than I am. Yeah, yeah. But it's funny. It's like there's certain times, like to, to the point you made earlier, it's like you don't want to try to play exact things, but with Roy, it's it's hard sometimes. Yeah. You know, well, when you do... Very, it's, it can be obvious that that's yeah, what it is. Yeah, definitely, you know? definitely. And I, I mean, how Mr. Can you Haynes, avoid... I owe you a lot of money. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> checks in the mail. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the three note groupings. How do you not say that that's that's coming from Roy? Yeah, the two yeah. lefts. <laughs> yeah. So this is my favorite solo. Actually, I transcribed it in college, and I learned. I think get your guys' opinions on this. This is reflection from uh, oh, we, yeah. we three. We three, yeah, it's a classic. I feel like Roy was one of the first, if not the first, to to no longer be referencing rudimental drumming. Like it's it's largely single strokes, and it sounds to me like he's getting ideas and phrasing from like timbali players. A lot of syncopations and the way he goes between the floor tom and the snare, Interesting. almost like a timbali player, rather than someone who studied a bunch of rudimental sure. things. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So here we go. It's also super melodic. I love this solo. <laughs> Sorry, I can't. Uh, like, I don't think there's a double stroke in that whole solo. I think it's all singles. I think most of it was. I, I understand what I, I understand what you're saying, and I and I agree with it. I I do think that I think this is just my opinion. I think almost all drummers are rudimental, but it's just how you use the rudiments. Mm-hmm. Like Elvin's very rudimental, but he uses them in a totally unique way. Yeah, he has know? his way of. I mean. 
I know what you mean, though, and and and, and I agree. It's not rudimental like Philly Joe Jones. Yeah, you're not Max. hearing the obvious. Yes, absolutely, very true. Also, the way his kit, he he has the snare and the floor tom tuned where you guys would put the floor tom and rack tom, and then the rack tom is above. It sounds like like he's doing the the fourth interval between these two drums. I think that changes though over time. It does, with, you know, with him. His tuning, his tuning was not consistent to my ears. Yeah. Mm. It always his drums always sounded good, but his tuning, it's not like other drummers who kind of tune the same all the time. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Hmm. You know, to 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 your point earlier about sort of playing almost like with a timbale player like influence. It's it's funny when he was with Bird. If you listen to uh, there's a tune that he recorded the bird with a bird called Tico Tico, which was sort of like a, a Brazilian pop tune. And he plays, and I heard him tell this story, I think in an interview somewhere, he plays a brush groove that he learned from one of the drummers from that from that area. He plays that zoom doom 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 zoom doom doom. It's very unique. I almost chose that actually. Interesting. so I think he was I think he was into drumming from different cultures. That's another question I would love to ask him. Sure. Um because I, 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 I hear what you're hearing in mm-hmm. that, and I, and I agree. I don't know. And another thing I heard, I mean, first of all, you, you hear it instantly. You're like, wow, Roy Haynes. Yeah. You know, like it just jumps <laughs> right out at you. You know, like I know we're here to talk about Roy Haynes, and you put it on. I'm like, oh, wow, that's Roy Haynes. <laughs> <laughs> it and, couldn't be anybody else. It, totally. And even there's little things in there that I, like, what was that trio record that's coming up later with Danilo and and John is like late '90s, I believe. Yeah, 2000, I think. Maybe yeah, 2000. 2000. I know it was right around that time. I think it was right, right around when I was leaving Manor's Band or, or just about to leave. But um, you can hear, I can hear the the the, the connection. Absolutely. It's like, it's like, oh, it's still kind of the same stuff. Just it's changed a little bit, morphed mm-hmm. a little bit the way he plays it. Yes. Sure, it's going to change depending on who you're playing with. Sure. Tempo, all that stuff. That's kind of what I was saying earlier is his totally. style formed and it did, there weren't any major changes mm. in it, which is, yeah. that's so interesting. I guess it's just sonically. Like he's playing papery cymbals here and yes. not the Sure, drill. yeah. I'm not used to hearing the small crash yes. kind of thing yeah. Yeah. so much. Yeah. That's such a classic, great record, man. Yeah. That's what's cool about any of this stuff in general, I feel like when you hang out with people and talk about records or even if you're somewhere where there's something playing and you hear it, you're like, it reminds you to, to keep digging deep on stuff that you no already question. have. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, man, I need to, you know, I've heard that record a ton. It's like, okay, I, now I need to jump back into that record. Because you forget about them sometimes. And, oh, man, and, and that's the just, greatest part. You know? And then you rediscover, like, yes. oh, man, I like this way more than I thought I did. It yeah. happens to me all the time. Or yeah. records that you initially were like, eh, and then you go back and you're like, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. That's the best part. Yeah, you know? that happened to me last in the last month I've been not to talk about somebody else but I never I kind of slept on those Paul Motion Electric Bebop band records oh yeah and then I just made myself start listening to them again I was like oh wow I, I like these way more than I thought that's I cool did. Yeah. you know I caught that band in yeah. the late 90s I guess it was where'd you see them Sweet Basil oh uh, man <laughs> <laughs> it was I think Kurt Wurz and Winkle was still in the band I don't remember definitely um Cheeks was on sax. Yeah. yeah, Chris Cheek. I never saw Paul. I didn't. Let's know. talk about Roy, but like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I next episode. Did you I catch met, the documentary? By the way, I did. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. actually gonna go over and watch it at his house. I haven't seen it, it's, so don't spoil. Okay, it. okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's killer. And I never saw. We talked about this a little before we started filming this. I, I never saw Roy play in person. Um, yeah. I've seen tons of live footage, like 
you know, and live records. But and I met him once, and he was a sweetheart. But I never got to see him play in person, which I well, I I I, I do about. have one kind of cool story. The last time, the last time I saw him, he was here in Pittsburgh with uh, with his quartet, and um, it, they were playing at the New Hazlet Theater for the Kinte Arts Alliance series, and it was a great concert. And I had the honor of sitting in the audience between. Roger Humphreys and Joe, Joe Harris. Right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. And I think I told you this story. Mm -hmm. But uh, they came out, and, you know, Roy grabbed the mic, and he's, well, thank you for coming. And he looked out, and he said, I, 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 I heard <laughs> Joe Harris is here tonight. And, of course, Joe was like, you know, here, here I am, you know. And he <laughs> said, come on down here, man. And he got up. And he went down, he said, play something for me. And Joe sat at the drums and played this wow. little thing, and Roy just sat there, stood there and watched it. <laughs> That's amazing. And I was just like... <laughs> And Roger was like loving it. It was it was amazing. It's really great. That's really great. Yeah. I think the next one is yours, Tom. I'm late. I'm late. Oh man. 1961. What are we in for? I did not hear this one, and this kind of blew me away. This is a very very interesting record. I'll try to make this brief. Um, so this is this is a Stan Getz record um, called Focus, which is on the Verve label, and it was recorded in the late summer of of 61, and. This this features Stan playing the arrangements of a very very interesting and important arranger in jazz history named Eddie Sauter. Um, Eddie Sauter sort of comes out of the swing era. He his first sort of arrangements of note were actually for Benny Goodman's band. Um, there's a tune of his called Clarinet a la King. There's a few others, and he was a very very forward thinking, progressive arranger. Kind of kind of like Gil Evans, but 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 different, right? Um, and he also arranged for some other big bands, Artie Shaw's band. I think he arranged for Ray Anthony's, or uh, Ray, yeah, I think so. He, he he arranged for some of the some of the swing era big bands. Anyway, um, Stan had been a fan of his, and they had sort of in the in the in the early mid fifties. Eddie Sauter had a, a a big band with another great arranger named Bill Finnegan called the Sauter Finnegan Band. Joe Harris actually auditioned for that band. He said it was the hardest music he ever had to play, <laughs> which is something coming from Joe. Anyway, so this this was a project where Eddie Sauter was going to write all this music to feature Stan Getz. The funny thing about this record is I think you could take Stan Getz away and it would sound like some very, very interesting, modern-sounding European classical music. Hmm. And it's very, very different from other records that feature a jazz soloist with a string section. For instance, if you were to compare this to like Charlie Parker with strings from 1949-1950, it's basically a jazz soloist with a string section that maybe plays an introduction and then plays some pads behind the soloist. This is totally different. And the in the 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 instrumentation is it's like a small kind of chamber string section, a bassist John Nevis and Roy and Stan. That's the band. Hmm. So this is the first tune off of the album. It's called I'm Late, I'm Late. And those of you Alice in Wonderland fans will remember this is what the, the, the rabbit in Alice in Wonderland says when he realizes he's late. It's kind of, kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's, that's what the title is, is, is alluding to. So we're going to hear sort of the, the, uh, the end of this. So you kind of get the main theme, and then it's just Roy and Stan. So I'm checking All out. All right. Thank you. 
1961. I was telling Throck, you know, the thing that, that, that blows me away about his playing, obviously everything he's playing is really cool and incredibly musical. He's playing brushes, obviously, on a snare drum with the snares on. Now, for most of us, well, I'll speak for myself. For me, when I play, that cuts my sound in half. Mm. It sounds terrible. <laughs> you know? But he gets the most beautiful, big, fat sound out of the snare drum. And that that's just kind of like man. I wish I wish I could get half that sound, you know, playing brushes. So it's 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 so cool to hear him interact with all of that. You know, it's it's so musical, but yet it's totally him. You know, that couldn't be anybody else. Oh, completely. You know, what a cool record. Is the whole record like that? No, uh. that, it's 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 similar, but it's the record. I would I would encourage people to check it out. Yeah, I want to check it out. It's now. it's really beautiful. There's there's some really great and very interesting music. That's the only cut that's like that though. Man, <laughs> super hip. So is there much? Sorry to interrupt. Is there much of the trio playing minus the strings, or is it always? It's all str- okay. it's all with strings. I don't yeah. know if like you know there might be like an intro yeah. and then they play kind of. It's pretty much it's pretty much all with the ensemble, but that's kind of what makes it unique. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's very. I, I, I think for Stan, it had to be a great challenge because there's no open blowing. He's just playing over this classical piece, basically. Yeah, yeah you how, know? They, how did they record it? It feels like it was a theater production, like they'd be up on pedestals with spotlights on them or All, something. But we, it's funny. They, the two of them, Eddie Sauter and, and, um, and Stan, collaborated again later in the 60s on a movie soundtrack for a movie called Mickey One, I think. And it's very... It's it, it's 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 interesting. It's not like <laughs> like this, but you're right. It's very sort of theatrical, and yeah. very cinematic almost. Well, the next one's yours. Fly me to the moon. One year later, 1962. Yeah. So this. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You say something. I was going to just play it. Or yeah. You go wanna, ahead. Go let's ahead. Let's play it first. Let's, let's play it. <laughs> That sounds like fully realized Roy right there to me. Oh, no question. No I mean, question. That, that, that couldn't be anybody else. <laughs> and the, the one, I, I was talking about this earlier, I think, the one um, right after, uh, that's, of course, the great Rossan Roland Kirk, and when he plays that, do da 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 Man, when I heard yeah. that, I was like, Bad. Yeah. 
Like that, like for younger drummers, that almost sounds something like something Bill Stewart might play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like that's 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 sort of his type of phrasing. The thing that knocks me out about this is the way he's phrasing in three. It's totally different than the way other drummers, to to my ear, phrase in three. Yeah. You know, like he's he's playing off of one. He's it's very like sometimes you really got to sit there and like feel your way through because it's like man, how did that work? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. It's totally unique. Well, there's phrase. a later one, I think you picked it in three, where he's clearly thinking of it as six in yeah. a way. And in general, that, that's a thing. There's so much to play with in that, which is why it's so fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, yeah. you yeah, can, you can do hear a lot it in stuff. four, you can hear it in three, you yeah. can hear it in six. You, it's like, how are you feeling this? And it's so many ways to play with it. Yeah. Like, I, I remember I, the first time I heard it, and it was just kind of like, wow. Like, yeah, I had never bad. heard, I think before this, I had heard. Max Roach jazz in three four time, and I had heard a couple other drummers sort of solo in three, but that was the first time I had heard a drummer play in three where it was really like he he's really sort of playing with the mm-hmm. the, the meter and the it's beautiful. I, I gotta play it again, please, <laughs> because again it sounds like he's from the future. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 beautiful music, man, for the, sure. His his bass drum sounds often kind of like big, kind of big and full. Absolutely, big, yeah. Th- that I think it is like in my mind, I don't remember that it's like that. And you hear certain records, you're like, wow, man, like, and he's he's totally in control of it, though. Even though it's like a big open sound, he he always makes it really clear. Yeah, like for sure. on that Oliver Nelson record, I was thinking about oh, oh yeah, from it's like especially if you hear it in headphones, you really can. You know, or in a, on a good system, but like, it's like sometimes I'm like, wow, listen to the bass drum behind some brush playing, like just the way, he, mm-hmm. you know, how big the drum is, but how in control of it he is. I think that comes from the fact that he comes out of the swing, swing era, era where yeah. the bass drums were big and yeah. you had to be able to control it or else it would just be, you know. Sure. We should probably let people know that that's from his classic record on Impulse, Out of the Afternoon, with uh, Tommy Flanagan and uh, Henry Grimes and Rasan, that's that's a really wonderful record. One of my favorite sounding records of his, for Rudy sure. Van Gelder, man, and absolutely. Like that snare sound is like yeah. for me the the unicorn of all. Like it's, I want that sound, whatever yeah. that is. <laughs> 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 all right, so now we're going into. The, I think for me, if you said pick one Roy Haynes record that you could listen to for the rest of your life, it's the one that you picked. Now he sings. Now he sings. It's, it's obvious. I yeah. mean, everybody's gonna. <laughs> For sure. I mean, I knew somebody. I knew if I didn't, I figured you'd have something off of here. Do I you? did, and I'd cut it. Yeah, okay. Literally, <laughs> 10 seconds after the chunk you picked is what I wanted to play. Yeah. Wow. Where he goes boom, 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 boom on the toms behind Chick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's one of those things, like, because I wasn't going to pick it also, and I'm like, well, someone's got to pick Somebody got to do it, yeah. And then I, and I, th- I think I picked two things from it. Yeah, you did. And, and one's with brushes and one's with sticks, but it's like, and neither of them are, or him soloing, it's just him playing. It's, yeah. One behind the playing behind the melody, and one just playing behind the beginning of chick solo. It's, you know, and it, and also like by this time, it, now you're starting to hear the the flat ride thing. Yeah. You know. Yep. Which you is know, this the first time he used it? 1968. Anyone know? I, I don't know, but I mean, that's it's, a good question. It's, it's what everybody. I can't think references. of a different one. Yeah. I, I, I think it is, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. 
I'd have to I have to do some research on that. But so, it's definitely one of the early ones. So you picked Matrix first, and it's behind Chicks. Yeah, just because it's the solo. first thing on the record, you know. Yeah. Interestingly, the the track order is different, right? Now, now yes. they put steps yeah. first, I think. Yeah, when they put the CD out, it was not the original. It wasn't oh. the original order from the LP. So we yeah, learned I just, it with I Matrix. I kind of learned it from the CD. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Interesting. Yep. All right, let's check it out. Mm. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's you like know, so busy, like we're talking about, but like not in the way at all. No, totally. It, it's 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 all musical. It's and serving the dynamics the music. are so under control. Yep. And both he and Chick are so urgent. It it's make it makes me want to just live yeah. fast. Like everything just make it makes me want to go. Yeah. It's so much urgency to it. You know, it. one of the things that that, that that struck me when I when when we were listening just now was. Um, you know, Roy Roy was one of, along with a couple of others, he was one of the masters of using the hi-hat to comp. Mm. And he does that a lot on this record. There's many other records he does, but he does it a little bit. And it, it's so, it's almost, it's, it's like if he was a pianist, somebody added another octave or something. It's mm -hmm. like this new way of... Yeah. Of comping, you know, and he was so good at it. There were others that were good and, at and it, too. you know, the stuff that, people think of Roy and think, oh, this... You know, like I said, are like these roughs and these little like things with the snare drum Rim shots and yeah, yeah, and the little like like a little double mm -hmm. with one hand. It's like I I feel like I try to not play that stuff because it's just so. I know. <laughs> even though it's so amazing, you want to play it. Yeah. You know. How do you not? You both use a flat ride. How do you not immediately go yeah. into <laughs> the flat ride? That's a weird thing because like the flat yeah. ride for me has been a more recent. Me too. Thing. Me um, yeah. And I I first got this. Uh, I might have had a flat riser over these. My dad always played a flat growing up, a kind of a heavier flat that was bright. And um, he played cool nylon sti tip sticks to it. There's something to it, but it just wasn't. All the guys I grew up listening to weren't really doing that. And then um, I got this K flat, and it's like, it's killing. And I ended up getting a 18-inch um, 602, like the Roy symbol. And it has, mine has a crack in it, so it kind of automatically sounds like it's riveted from the crack. And then it has a rivet. And then you got yours was Joe Harris's old symbol, which yeah. is a 20 with the same symbol. 602? Yeah. yeah. No kidding. Yep. Yeah. It's a nice, it's a nice symbol. And it, it, I, I never, I never really heard that as a drummer, but when, when I got that, it's a nice symbol and it, it works really, I play it a lot behind bass solos and, or if I want a really stark color change in the music, it's great. I, I love hearing you play that symbol. I mean, it, it, cause it it's works like, good, man. Not to sit here and talk about your playing. Please don't. But it's like, it, 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 it's 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 always like, wow, that's a cool, such a different change. Yeah. You know, it works to, really to well it. for that. You yeah. Know? So, it, how recent are we talking? Oh, man. I've, I've had that symbol for, I don't know, five years, years yeah. at the most, I think. And I've talked to some other like drum friends. Like, it seems like a lot of guys are starting to want to use them now. Really? Like, that's all interesting. Of a sudden, it's like it's become like, 
hmm. fashionable again to get a flat ride or something. Wow. That's interesting. You know? That was one of the first symbols I bought when I wanted to play jazz because of all because I listened to. Because of that, yeah. yeah I was like, yeah. I got to have a flat ride. That makes total sense. <laughs> sure. That's such, a, that's such an amazingly great record in every way, man. Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full-line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. It's really something. So you also picked, how do you pronounce this, Panonica? Yeah, that's a monk tune. Yeah. So why'd you pick Panonica this one? I mean, I, I could have picked anything off of this record. I mean, um, yeah. I, I just like to hear him play the brushes, mm-hmm. you know, and I just... I think I just picked from the beginning of the song, just yep. when they're playing the melody. Just the way he interprets playing behind the song, something mm. kind of just uniquely Roy about it to me, you know. And he gets a really good sound with the brushes, like Tom was saying earlier. The sweeping sounds are really beautiful, and the way he kind of plays the more stick-like things, mm-hmm. it's really crisp and and uh, and he does always leave the snares on, doesn't he? I never noticed that. I, I think he does a lot, but you know, probably not always. But he, I, I think he does it more than a lot of guys, especially from his generation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's check it out. Yeah. hearing it again i've heard it a lot it's it's really similar to how he plays with sticks yeah do you know what i mean like certain drummers they have a totally different thing when they go to brushes Mm -hmm. and it's like the comping is real it sounds almost like he's he's not doing it in the same manner the same patterns but like the the spirit of the absolute rhythm the phrasing is is the same as the way he comps with the left hand even if he's playing it with two two brushes Mm -hmm. you know also, you know, again, he's not playing the hi-hat on two and four hardly at all. He's mm-hmm. using it just as little, uh, yep. another way to accent. Mm-hmm. Little embellishments and, and yep. accents, yeah. It's very, it's, it's really And the short beautiful. notes versus the long notes. That's totally. something he plays with a lot, which is really, really sweet. Yep. I have to comment, that snare drum, he has the wires so tight, but yet he's still able to get them to, to I know. speak. I know. Well, I yeah, mean, I, I feel like maybe they, I feel like maybe they're not as tight as we think they are or something, because cause it would almost choke more or something you know uh, you still you still hear all that response yeah. i mean i'm sure they're not loose loose no but, you yeah. know it's he he it's all in the hands you know, that, <laughs> that 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 sound is just 
I think I think he could get that sound on any one of your eighty-five drums yeah, in the right, other yeah. room. <laughs> Which is ironic because I just bought a drum <laughs> trying to get the Roy sound out of it. Because yeah. I need, I think like it needed to be like a cheap drum. I hate to say it, like it needed to be a Luan shell and old in mm-hmm. order for me to get that vibe. I can't get that on a modern drum. It's 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 very unique. It's part of what makes him so special. My second choice was one that I just recently discovered. I'd never heard him play anything that wasn't swing or in the swing world. Sure. But then his record, is it, how do you even say that? Equipoise? Yes. Beautiful tune by Stanley Cowell. 1972, there's a a tune called Roy's Tune. Oh, yeah. It's like um, modern day jazz funk. Yep. Super weird. Would you know that's Roy Haynes if you didn't know it was Roy I, Haynes? I wouldn't know just from that. But if you said, oh, this is Roy Haynes, I would believe it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. There's def- It's definitely Roy, but he's... That reminds me of how my dad played drums, like when he would play grooves. Yeah? yeah. Like, like, kind of. Kind of that. <laughs> no, I think it was just the era. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. You know, I always absolutely. jokingly would say stuff about my dad. Like, people say, what did your dad sound like? I'm like, he sounded like... It sounded like he played drums in the 70s. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like he played it behind a bunch of like shows, like singers and sure. shows. And, like, That's what he did. Exciting music, like yeah. game show sounding music or something, or Vegas music, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah, I wouldn't like say, oh, wow, that has to be Roy Haynes. Yeah. But yeah, I buy it. There's definitely, you can hear his sound when he's playing the hi-hat sort of half open. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's where I think his style kind of comes through. Um, but it's funny, like that, that, like that little groove, that funk groove, he would play that on on a tune that swings, right? Like he would do that. Like he would. There's plenty of examples where something's swinging, and he would play something straight against it to get that 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 sort of that, yeah. that sound yeah. and that feeling. So I, I, to, to backtrack for a second, I, I'm no authority on any of this. I'm not authority today. on anything. <laughs> we should add that disclaimer at the beginning. We are not authorities on anything. Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll get the T-shirt made. Yeah. You know, I am not an authority. Um, <laughs> I always just say, "What do I know?" But which I say all the time. But back to the, the chick thing for a second. I feel like Chick was chasing that thing that he and Roy thing like for the, throughout his life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, not just because Marcus was was his grand Roy's grandson or anything like that, but just. I mean, I remember because I was so into all those bands, the Electric Band and sure. the band with Gary Novak and all these other drummers where he played with Dennis Chambers on it, like as a sideman and all this different stuff. Or even the fusion guys, Vinny and Gad, like it, he would always talk about Roy and mm-hmm. like the, the feeling of playing with Roy and have guys play flat rides. Yes. Like, like with Ballard, he had made, he gave Ballard the 602 play, the play Roy cymbal. He was always trying to continue that feeling. Yeah. And I don't remember if I heard Chick say this personally to me or if I, or if Novak said this to me or if I read it or maybe both maybe it happened a couple times but when they hear that band the, the Chick Corea Quartet with, with Gary Novak and Patatucci or Genus and Bob Berg I saw that band a million times because I was just so into it and um, he Chick would refer to that thing he had with Roy he would call it the bubble 
You ever hear this? Yeah, the I have bubble. heard that. He, he would call like the feeling of playing like time with Roy. He's like this light yes. playing that really moved and it was never loud. Mm-hmm. He's like, I just want to get in that bubble. Yeah. And that, that's what he was always like talking about he was searching for. Yeah, you know? I have read And it's just something about that, that 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 playing light and, and, and like you said, there's that, like it's moving, that emotion. Constantly, of it, yeah. You know? And I feel like Chick was like really like, seeking that like like he loved that so much what he got from roy sure he wanted to always find that that place wow. you know well here's here, here's a question for you man because you're you're you came up listening to 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 so much fusion and funk music guys like you know Vinny and dave gary novak i mean all those the, the, those guys do you hear roy's influence on those guys at all yeah i i, I do um maybe not as always as overtly as like um as elvin or something or tony yeah but i do and i think because chick would still play some of those tunes you know you yeah. play matrix or you sure. play um you know my one and only love or, or whatever and you're like okay these, these people have everyone's checked those records out sure. everyone's heard that sure like, i remember novak telling me that like I, he would play like a rock gig yeah and then he'd go, I have to go out with Chick. He said, I would just listen to now he sings for the whole week to get that's interesting. To, to get prepared to get to in that Chick. zone. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. And probably that particularly because he knew that Chick was wanted to get in the bubble. That. <laughs> yeah. And Gary didn't play light like that. It was more, but it, but he had that fiery, that explosive kind of fiery thing that sure. that Chick liked. You know, that's really interesting. And yeah. I feel like the band was bands with Ballard. Like it, you can really hear that totally tiny, less fusiony, totally. but like yeah. you can hear it definitely like the Roy. Kind of tune, more tuning like Roy, the, the flat rides mm-hmm. yeah, and whatnot. But I think, yeah, all those guys, like, you know, Weck and, and, and Vinny, like, those guys checked out Roy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Maybe not as much as yeah. like, real jazz purists, but, yeah, you kind of, he's hard to, he's hard he's to, hard to skip over. Yeah. <laughs> You're you right. Know? So the next one is my final pick, which was the, this was my, my introduction to Roy Haynes, Trinkle Twinkle from the 1994 record Tevu. A French record? Oh, you know yeah. this one? I do. I do know yeah. this. Yeah. I got it. From, I think from Columbia House, and I bought it because on the cover it's Roy in front of the stage with a hi hat. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. just bought it out of the blue. So this was my introduction you, you, you to Roy. You mean Haynes. you paid a penny for like twelve? Yeah. Hours. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so it was my introduction to Roy. It was my introduction to Thelonious Monk. Oh, interesting. Pat Metheny, um, Christian McBride's on this record, and I think. No one else played this arrangement the way that they play it. So Hmm. let's just check it out. Mm -hmm. The way that they end the form. Play the little bar of two. Yeah. yeah Does anybody else do that? 
I, I think probably, but I don't. I don't know. I don't know if they play that. E D That I don't know if they play it with that with that little phrase in there. It's slick. I remember yeah, this now. I haven't yeah. heard it in a long time. Yeah, it's out of print. I had to find find it on YouTube, unfortunately. But and I gave all my CDs away. <laughs> you did what? Whoops! Yeah, I already yelled at him about this. <laughs> you did what? <laughs> to make room for all those snare drums in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you could have put the CDs inside of the inside of the snare drum. Yeah. There the one go. thing I gave away when I moved was my CDs, and I. How many are we talking? Couple hundred. Yeah, that's, well, that's that's bad. But at least you didn't. At least it wasn't more. <laughs> so, if, would you find it if you would you buy CDs now or no? Are you divorced? I only have a CD player in my car, so yeah. it's like whenever I get a CD, it's a. Yeah, we got a lot of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> that's great, man. Thank you for picking that. I had totally forgotten about that. Right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I have some of those some Roy records from kind of this era, like as a leader, that I should probably give more of a chance. Not that I don't want to listen to them. I just, we all have stuff we haven't got sure. deep into. Yep. Like I, I bought one recently from that era with Kakowski and some guys that I listened to the dad bought it and then I haven't put it back on. I need to pull that back out. Yep. I forget the title of it, but. It um, feels like it's a bit of Roy on steroids kind of mm-hmm. touch. Listening back now, like he was definitely playing for the stage and he's the leader. He kind of played like that later in life though. Mm. There, there was a real like, you know, I mean, you know, the couple times I saw him, which was obviously later in his life, I mean, he, it was very... He was not. Yeah, he wasn't playing. He wasn't playing like no old man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was hitting the drums and he was very active. And so, yeah, uh, it's great. Well, this is our last one, I think. Okay. Which was six years later in 2000. You picked this I question this and record, answer, yeah. the Roy Haynes Trio. I think he's back to his true form, not the 90s aggressive form. This, I'd never heard this record. It, it's a cool record. It's like half live, half one, studio. Yeah. It's it's nice. It's it's kind of like it's a little like it's still super active, but it's like there's there's more space somehow. Mm. It's a little more patience and like totally. And it's yeah. cool to hear him play with Danilo and like because there's so much rhythm and stuff, and they they play with rhythm a lot. It, and it's not always like cymbal kind right. of playing. No, not it's at like, all. It's a lot of a lot of that kind of half open hi hat stuff. Snares off, yep. grooves with snares off. It's it's really a playful kind of record it is and i didn't buy this at first because of the personnel mm-hmm. i was like that's really interesting and then yeah. i heard a couple clips and i was like oh man i gotta mm-hmm. buy that yeah, it's, it's great, it's, a great record. <laughs> it's yeah. really great i really like it and one of my favorite all-time tunes too question and answer yeah here we go So he would have been 75 at that point. Yeah, roughly. crazy, yeah. crazy. To think about that. <laughs> that's amazing. You know, and that's a, that's a that's a great example of him. So I mean, question and answer. You you can swing it, or you could play it straight. But he's kind of getting that. 
he's kind of yeah. putting yeah. that 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 straight feel against. Yeah, it's so it's so beautiful in the space, man. Yeah, the space is it's really. He's really such great. a master painter, man. This sent me down a rabbit hole of this tune. I was like, all right, I don't really know the form, so I got to check it out. So I, look, I yeah. checked out the the. Um, like Minds with Gary Burton version. I don't know that. Ver I probably have that, but I haven't listened to it. Listened I've to heard that. that and much, then yeah. the Pat Metheny trio version. Yeah. With Bill, you mean? No, with him. With oh, oh, the original one. Yeah, yeah. And then with, with Dave Holland. Yeah, yeah. And that's then a, I checked out record. the one that um, Antonio Sanchez played with Metheny just to see the ref cross references. Yeah. Yep. I almost chose something from the from the original. The original trio. Yeah, I, I like that record a lot. Yeah, that was kind of another one that I figured somebody would. Yeah, yeah. I, like, oh, I, I picked now these things. I'll leave that alone. Yeah, no one picked that. Yeah, I was going to. And well, I, was like, yeah. I, I kind of felt like, in a way, this was like an, you know, a nod to that. You know? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, a, and, and I know Roy. You know, certain leaders, or drummers as leaders, will you can tell what they're into by the music they play a lot. Totally. You know, um, like with Motion, we were talking about. He's always playing stuff like Bird and Bud Powell and Monk mm. and, and others. And Roy, it's like there's he'll play like stuff he played with Bird, you know, play Monk, he'll play Chick tunes, he'll play Matheny, you know, like because he played with all those guys. Mm -hmm. I, I love hearing him play James. Oh yeah, the way he plays it, he nobody plays James like that. Yeah, it's so unique and great. You know? And now I want to like I have a band that does this tune sometimes, and last time we played it, we played it more with not like Roy, but like like a straighter thing, mm -hmm. just to. Breathe some new life into sure. tour playing too much, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's nice. It's like get you thinking about different things. Totally different, you know? different approach. Yeah, that's 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 a wonderful record, man. Yeah, I'd never heard him want to play it from the beginning again. I'd never heard him play with this type of feel. Do you think that's Danilo? And the Perez whole track influence? is killing because he he just kind of he just has so much to say. Like you were saying earlier that 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 one phrase in the trading where you're like, oh, the way he phrases. It's like there's like. Tons so much, those. so much of that in yeah, here, you absolutely. know, and where you're like, ah, oh, that got a little hairy for a second, and you go back and listen to it again, like okay, the more you hear it, you're like, oh, it all, it all works, it all works out, <laughs> you know. It's not, he's not BSing, you no. know. All right, let's check that again. References to almost every track we've played so yeah, far. Yeah, there was that. like the kind of Timbali stuff yeah, you were yeah. talking about. That's, That's a, a very good point. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. All the little snare drum, the buzzy stuff. There's you know. so much. There's, uh, I, I think this comes from from age and experience, but there's so much patience in the yeah. way they're playing. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I think a lot of younger players would have just been just all oh, and yeah. they're just kind of like. Well, I think that's what we're all shooting for as we get older. Is totally. Like you want to, Absolutely. You want to sound like you have some experience and <laughs> and you're not just playing like a child, yeah, you know? And it's yeah, like, that's, that's true. the stuff that 
gets me excited. It's like that's why I'm picking this stuff within. I mean, he's kind of soloing a little bit, but none of the stuff I picked was drum solos. Right. It's like, man, I just love the, the way he the way he plays, the it. way he reacts to people and yep. the space he leaves and the, and like really like like we talked about earlier. But some of this stuff with the hi hat with him, like the the half open to open, to, to, he's like just like long notes versus short notes. He's, yep. he's he really uses that beautiful, very know? melodic way of using it. Absolutely. I keep envisioning like interpretive dance. Like that's what he feels like to me. Like he's interpretive dancing at all well, times. He's a he's a tap dancer. Well, there we go. He, he does that at his concerts. <laughs> you know, he'll get up and he'll tap dance. You know. Wow, we hit the hour right on the mark. So wow, cool. That's good. Are time. there any like um, you know, appendix records we should throw in the mix here? I'll be here for a, a oh, we've yeah, got three the, hours. Forever. We got the Matheny Trio, which none of us chose. Yeah, that's true. Um, What's another huge benchmark? I think those 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 live records with chicks to a chick with Miroslav are really cool. Those are great. Kind of classic Roy records. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Those those records with Monk are they're, they're amazing. They're amazing. You know. And you did mention the Coltrane records, which the are Coltrane interesting. The Coltrane records. Uh, also, the stuff he did with Bird is great because he's still very young and he's playing. I mean, it's you know. It's the same kind of style, you know. It's amazing. I would, I would also encourage, uh, you know, drummers to check out the records he made with Sarah Vaughn, mm. yeah, because I need to he hear was more of that. he was with her for five years, and he he played that gig brilliantly. You know, I mean, he he supported her, but yet it was still Roy. You mm. know, check what, out. What, uh, what, what years would that have been, roughly? Nineteen fifty three through about fifty eight, roughly. Yeah, I need to get some of that stuff. Check out. Uh, I'm sure I have some recordings, but I need to hear more of that. There's there's a couple good live ones, uh, live at Mr. Kelly's in Chicago, also uh, live at the London House. Uh, those are both great, and then the um, Sassy Swings, uh, you know, on um, uh, on MRC where they do Shulia Bop, which you know she introduces each member, and, and they they kind of trade. All, all all those are great. They're all worth checking out. They play that tune on that. Right on that uh, Roy record, right with Danilo. Yes, right? that's right. Yeah, that's absolutely. So right. there's another one of those like, yes, ode to mm. people he's played with and very much so, keeping yeah. that music alive. And you know that might be sound silly, but you know what I mean. No, yeah, yeah, know? absolutely. It's all part of his life. Yeah, you know, which is which is really cool. Yeah. I think he was in on the the avant garde stuff too, like the Eric Dolphy records. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Right. I almost chose one from uh, from from one of those. Because those are great records just all around, and he makes, as usual, such a unique and great contribution to that music. Yeah. Those those Jackie records are nice, too, oh. with Roy. Yes. Uh, Destination Out. So I'm blanking on the title. It's out, Time. Out Front. Out. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. You're talking about Jackie McLean. Yeah. I was talking about Jackie Byer. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know the I don't know the Jackie Byer records with Roy. Those are those are there's there's a couple. They're really good. Did I get good. those titles right? It's time. Is yep. this, that's correct. And destination is this that mm-hmm. what it's called? Destination. Those Hall? are those are amazing records. Yeah, those are killing. Those are really Roy's great. like playing on those too. Oh the yeah, the music, the players, everything on those is great, man. They're sixties like Roy, you know. So yeah, you just open up all music and just pick a record. I mean you're not gonna find a bad one, right? That's kinda true with Roy. That's yeah. kinda true. Unbelievable. Well, that's it. Thanks, guys. Yeah, man. Thank you, man. Thank you. (laughs) All right, there you have it. Ten reasons to love Roy Haynes. I hope you heard some things in there you never heard before. If you haven't checked out a lot of Roy's records, you really can't go wrong. Just pick anything that he's played on, but definitely check out some of those records that we focused on in this episode. I know I'm excited to dig into that Roy Haynes trio record that I'm not all that familiar with. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed that. Thanks again for listening. We're going to jump into the shop talk section. 
This week, Chris and I are checking out a Rogers holiday kit, and we're going to discuss a little bit about the history of Rogers. Check it out. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm good. Let's good. talk about, so we've covered some Ludwig stuff. We've covered some Gretsch stuff. We've covered some Japanese stuff, some English stuff, but we haven't covered, I guess, number three of four, big four American drum companies, Rogers. Rogers. Yes, sir. Um, where would you put Rogers in the hierarchy of, of the current market, first of all? Um, I don't know. I mean, I I kind of were joking about this earlier. I say this, I swear, every video. I love these shells, but we'll talk. We'll kind of talk about these shells. But in the hierarchy, in terms of like drums that are well made, yeah. Rogers is like up there. Yeah. It's very rare to get like a '60s kit from this era and have like weird stuff going on with the edges or, you know, ply separation. They're really well made, um, and they sound great. So this particular kit, I'm looking inside the shell. It says Holiday Model, made in Dayton, Ohio. Do you know this whole Rogers geography? I have yeah. a I have a Covington era Rogers kit. Covington would be Dayton and Cleveland. So. Um, the factory was based in Covington, Ohio, which is like kind of by Dayton area. I was wrong. I have a Fullerton era. Oh, uh, Fullerton. <laughs> California. CBS, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, the drums that were sold out of, I think it's Henry Grossman. Um, he had like a warehouse or like a, a distribution center in Cleveland. And then there was one in Dayton. And then after that, they moved to Fullerton. Okay. And that's where when CBS bought the company. Now, is, are the shells different? Yeah, so these shells, I'll just grab this real quick. Let me see the inside. Um, these are like the best ones, they're kind of the most desirable. They're three-ply, flat gray interior. This one's a little dirty, I haven't cleaned the inside, but um, Holiday Rogers, it'll say either Dayton or Cleveland on it, but the flat, flat gray is kind of the giveaway. Mm-hmm. The best. It's so, a three-ply shell. It looks like it's got sharper edges than you yeah, would find on a, on a Ludwig or... Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I don't know the exact profile. Um, I know you kind of can't see the tag, but sometimes the, the maker or the person who made are put together, the kit will put their initials on there. Oh, that's cool. And if you talk to like a Rogers guru, they're like, oh, yeah, well, that was Bill. <laughs> I, was at, I was at the Covington <laughs> show this week. Bill. Yeah, I was at the Covington <laughs> show this weekend, and there was a, a, we were looking at a drum, and I was talking to my buddy Poe, who's like a big Rogers guy. And he's like, oh, yeah, CHS, that's, uh, that's uh, whoever that was. I'm like, okay. All right, then. Yeah. That's so, a unique tribe. Yeah. Um, hardware is really good on these. This is a, called a collet, if you didn't know it. And these can be a nightmare. Mine are all stripped. Or yeah, they're, they're terrible. They're all busted in here. Something's happening. I don't know what's happening. So in Cleveland and in Dayton, they would use a machine collet, mm. which is just a fancy way of saying that they don't break. So you can tighten this one down, and sometimes these arms, they're threaded, will snap off or come off, but you know, these are really solid. Um, the bass drum, I know you can't see it. Uh, it was modded. This would be a headliner kit, so 14 by 20, 8 by 12, 16 by 16. Would have the original swivel arm coming out here, mm -hmm. um, but the owner of this kit had, which you can kind of see, I was looking at this, this is a little crooked. That's because it was done after the fact. Uh -huh, you put kind of like a center Londoner mount on there for another another Tom. But this kit is really cool. It's a one owner kit. He bought it in 1969. This is the uh, original receipt. 
<laughs> All right, you got to tell the horror story. Yeah, so we were talking about this earlier. <laughs> so I went to pick up these drums, and I was talking to the fella, super nice guy. And he knew it was coming to get the drums, so he had the receipt in his pocket all day. Um, he bought this a 926-1969 from the Spriggs House of Music. I can't see, even see where it is. But anyway, his <laughs> wife washed his pants. <laughs> the day before. The, that, that day. So this receipt has survived since 926 <laughs> 1969 until two days ago <laughs> when it went did. through the wash. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, I think, let's see here. This kit was 380386 back mm, in the day. I don't know inflation, what that would equate to. Now, but these were high-end pro-level drums, oh, yeah. right? These yeah, like these, yeah, and then honestly, they still, in my opinion, they still are. Um, Rogers did a lot of things really well. Uh, Ringo had a... Roger's mount on his Ringo kit. Was it one of these or one of these? One of those. So what did it do? Did it, did it come out and Yeah, this? let me, here, here's a, a, sorry. <laughs> Got these fancy new mics coming out of my dang pocket. <laughs> Goodness gracious. make it easy. <laughs> <laughs> I make everything hard. But this was like a smaller version. This was the Londoner mount. But this would have been so a this. longer arm. It would have come right out there. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they, their hardware was really reliable at the time. Uh, really good. I think... Uh, I don't know if I love the floor tom brackets just because you have to use a tension uh, a drum key to tighten and loosen Yeah, them. they're probably my least favorite part and sometimes they'll, the back part of it will kind of separate and it'll spin mm. and then you got a wonky leg kind of going back and forth. But this this mount is kind of like their their thing. And same thing with the, the collets before they moved to California. And, no, not bad. So what would be the Fullerton era shells? I thought they were three-ply. They're five. Are they? Yeah, five with rings, yeah. They're good drums, too, don't get me mm -hmm. wrong. But these are kind of like the... If you want a Rogers kit, you want a Cleveland kit, for sure. Uh-huh. What was this? This was a cymbal arm mount? Yep. So the cymbal arm, it came with one, but it was a, a pearl one. But this would just like, you know, like an L arm come up here. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the original stands. So this is uh, not a flat base stand, not but it has. Way. This one is not. No, that <laughs> is a Ludwig. This has like the kind of the tilter on it. So this was like a good tilter. That oh, one. was that kind of like revolutionary to have a, a ball mount tilter? Anybody else doing that? I don't think so. Actually, I never thought of that. But yeah, original stand. Um, we have the Waberg and Ajay thrown in the back. You can't see it in the original kick pedal. Um, that's the original flat base hi-hat stand. Oh, it is? Yeah. And that's actually a rare stand from what I understand. I'm not like big on the model names of anything, but I've yeah. never seen that stand before. Um, this is also the, I know you can't see it as, as usual, <laughs> but it was stamped Rogers SS by ASCO Canada. So two, this would be an 18-inch crash in Port <laughs> Yeah, they're really good. It's really great hardware. I tell you, really reliable. Yeah, it doesn't work unless you tighten the dang wing nut. Anyway. Well, that show has a nick in it now. No, no. it doesn't. Um, stamped high, stamped high at stamp crash. These were made, like you said, by ASCO in, in Canada. And from what I understand, what I've read is that factory went on to make Sabian. And that these were made by Zildjian and were actually seconds. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's true or not. If it is, would love anybody who worked at ASCO Canada. 
They sound okay. They're better than the supers that came with Ludwig's that I've that I have. Oh, the the, the Peisty, yeah. Yeah, they're like silver nickel yeah. or something. Those are, yeah, these are actually way better than that. They yeah. look like Zildjian's too. Yeah. Um, but I've never had a set of of Rogers stamped symbols. Um, original power tone as well. What makes a power tone a power tone? Uh, it's powerful, Mike. <laughs> it's got that power. Uh, no, it's just I think that's is it eight, eight log. Yeah, eight log. Eight log chrome over brass. Mm -hmm. It's got the like I don't know what you would call that. It's not a bead. It's like a reverse bead shell. Yeah. Reverse double bead on the outside. So they made a power tone, and then they made a super a super ten, which was steel. I can't remember. Super ten and steel, I think. Um, but yeah, that's a chrome over brass shell. All these drums, we just did a demo, they have the original heads on them. Which is Minus crazy. the batter head on the snare, but you can kind of see the, the rezzo head is kind of cranked and stretched out. But Weather King A1. A1. <laughs> Good steak sauce. <laughs> I was just about to make a joke. All the original uh, tone controls, original hoops. Um, these original heads. This is a red glass. What do they call it? Sparkling red glitter. Red sparkling glitter. I, it's red. It's a red sparkle. Is this a excellent condition version of this that you've seen? I mean, how would you classify this? Yeah, pretty nice. Uh, the gentleman's wife cleaned it up before she they sold it, so we'll kind of like detail it a bit more. But uh, it is kind of a bummer that this was swapped out. The kit would be worth more if it didn't have that mod. Um, but as a player, that's, I think, a better spot for it. Yeah, I mean, you figure, you, you know, oh, I can get it for a little cheaper because it had that added on there. Mm -hmm. So what we'll probably do is, you can't see that, but this just has a regular plate on here. We'll move the plate to this, and then we'll put on a regular Slavomotic mount with an arm. Mm. And then that'll kind of be original, or as close to original as you can get. But All right, then. What else we got to talk about with Rogers? <clears throat> do you have any, well, what do you want to know? I know that you have uh, some Rogers pieces, Mike. I do. I feel like they're kind of not, I guess if you know, you know, it's kind of the deal, mm -hmm. you know? And I got mine just from a, a local drummer in New Jersey who wanted to upgrade his kit. So he sold them to me basically for the price for him to get yeah. per, like a Pearl Vision series <laughs> kit or something. And I toured with them. They were amazing. Um, but I, you know, I don't, I didn't have any like sweet spot for them. I think in terms of like say the big four you have Rogers, you have Ludwig, Slingerland, and Gretsch. If I were to like classify them all by like quality, it would probably be definitely Rogers. Gretsch is pretty close. And then Ludwig and then Slingerland. Hmm. There's kind of some overlap in, you know, some eras or some years drums were better than other ones. Um, Rogers actually got started by Joseph F. Rogers in Jersey. You could you could tell me anything. <laughs> yeah. I don't know when, but I found a couple Jersey sh shells. Oh, I remember reading that. I worked yeah. up, obviously. I worked in a magazine for 17 years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully your, your old boss isn't listening to this. Pretty um, sure I they, this. they did an eagle badge before this, which I don't, you know, really my thing is kind of ugly. Eagle badge? Never seen that. Yeah, there's a, it says Rogers and there's an eagle on it. Wow. It's called Eagle Patch. <laughs> Never seen that one. Yeah. Um, big old fat re-rings. I think at that time they were Jasper shells, and I think these are Keller. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Anything about 
the the badge you should look for? Like, did it change? Did it evolve in any significant? Way? No. So it was the so the Joseph like the old old ones has like have like a kind of square or like a rectangle badge. It's like goldish, and then they have the eagle badge, and then there's the classic. I like these, the script badge. Uh, they kind of like use these little nails for it. It's one of my favorites. They, you know what? They feel like the most modern of old drums to me. Why is that? Just the, the build quality. I feel like everything is just a little bit more contemporary by comparison. Like a 69 Ludwig, I think, doesn't look as, as modern. The modern, as yeah. This. Yeah. No, really, uh, like I said, I really like them. Um, eventually we'll get to a kit that I'm like, yeah, my favorite, not my favorite shells. Not my favorite shells. <laughs> so be on the lookout for Roger's Holiday. What was the other one? Covington? What, what Covington, other... what, Covington was where the factory was. So the stickers will be... So but one, I know this, we're going a little long, but Holiday was just, I don't, this was called a headliner kit. So that one means of the, the setup, that means the yeah. configuration. So one thing that's really weird about Rogers is they would have, so Ludwig will, will classify by size. There's like the downbeat, which is a 2012-14. Jazzette was 18-12-14. Super Classic was 22. You can go through and like they classified it by their size. Uh -huh. Rogers would classify by their hardware. Oh, that's weird. Isn't that weird? So, you know, there's a couple different variations that had like a swivel mount here. And I think that was the Cozy Coal, and then the mount would go into the, the snare. So the snare It was would be, called the Cozy Coal. Yeah. Well, that's the guy who played it. Right. It would go right in, the mount would go right into the snare. And then you have a mount here that would go in to the tom, and then this over here. And then the Londoner had, like, two up here. So they would classify on the hardware, which is interesting. That's weird. But the, uh, the Holiday, I guess, would, like, be the series. Got it. But I think... Was I there mean, any other series? What was the, the Luxor? Luxor was the six by six, uh, the six lug, which is a great snare. So it's just a snare, the Luxor yeah. show. That's the model. See, that's, that's like, I don't know why they have to put that on there. <laughs> Holiday model, but it's actually a headliner. Hopefully confused everyone completely now. So they're right. almost all holiday. Someone's going to correct right. us. Right, but you know, what's, what's weird is like, right, so the Covington was where Roger, the factory was. But there's no Covington tag. It's, it'll say Cleveland or date. It's it's really it's it can be confusing it yeah. really can, but Joe Thompson kind of was like the mastermind or like the kind of wild scientist behind it. I actually had a drum come in from a friend of mine that was an eight by it would look just like this. It was an eight by twelve and it mm -hmm. was a Dynasonic. What? Yeah, it was a Dynasonic. <laughs> Dynasonic it, is the the snare drum with yeah. the with the rail on the bottom. The right? rail mounts there, yeah. And so it came in. I'm like, oh, man, that's got to be a converted tom, and it wasn't. It wasn't. It was original. Had an original 12 inch rail on it. Um, that's strange. Yeah, and it was made by Joe Thompson. So, yeah, some really some really interesting history behind that. I'm not a Rogers buff by any means. I don't know the serial chart offhand. There is a serial chart, by the way. Mm. That's like, oh, this is when this was made or that was made based on the serial numbers. But yeah. Yeah, if you care. I personally just want drums that look good, sound good, and not fall apart when I play them. I think that's what we all want, Mike. <laughs> or who made it, where it's made, not my vibe, but I know that's some people's vibe. I don't care. <laughs> so, yeah, so Holiday, be on the lookout for Dayton or Cleveland. Yep. Holiday. Flat gray, you want flat gray? Flat gray interior. Cleveland. Um, a giveaway, too, is like the bow ties. These were these, this kind of style. 
handle was made during that era. Uh, pay attention to the collets because you'll buy a kit and it's like, oh, it's so cheap, this is great. And then the spurs, the collets will be cracked and gone. So remind, that's happening. You know, so yeah. this is a machine collet. You kind of see how it's pointy right there. The ones that aren't machined, they're like kind of little bulbous and rounded. Mm -hmm. But you know, this is what you want to pay attention to as well. So, sweet. Well, you got to knock at the door. All right, that's it. <laughs> that is it for this week's episode. Again, thank you all for listening. I can't believe we made it to 50 episodes. We are coming up on our one-year anniversary here. If you dig this show, please give us a five-star rating or drop a review over on iTunes, YouTube. Drop some comments. Uh, if you're not subscribing to the Drum Factory Direct YouTube channel, please do so because we're going to be putting all these episodes in full over there. What else? Yeah, let us know if you dig this concept because I've got a bunch more ideas with Tom and Dave in the works. We're going to continue this listening session once a month, hopefully, and then I'll be getting some of my favorite drummers back on the show as well and some other ideas in the works. So again, thank you all for listening. Appreciate it and have a good week.